Good morning. How long you folks been coming to State Road? Five years? Come on. Ten years? Twenty years? Thirty? Comes after thirty. Forty? Over forty? Wow, you guys are really old. <laughs> what a journey it's been. I figured out um, Lane dragged me out here 38 years ago against my will. And something happened here in 1982. Um, the Holy Spirit was here in the body of Christ and I was captivated. And it was a year later I decided to give my life to the Lord and a year after that, I joined the church. I didn't really want to come at first. I told her, I said, I'm, I'll go, but I'm not going to sing. And now I can't stop singing. And I give credit to God for those powerful changes that, uh, that he brought about in my life. I'm easily drawn to um, scriptural passages about the early church. And so I want to go there just for a few minutes this morning. We have some really important speakers following me. Chapter 4 of Acts, if you would go there. I'm not sure why I'm so attracted to these early passages or passages of the early church. But it reminds me of how the Holy Spirit worked in the lives of those people at that time in that place. As I read these, as we read these together, I wonder if you would um, try to see our church community in the text. Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were given their, giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Our loving God has given us the body of Christ, the family of God, as a context, a, uh, a platform where we get to serve and we are served in return as part of this great community that he's developed. Just as God has given us 
apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. He has also given us cooks and parking lot attendants and junior church workers and Sunday school teachers and sound room technicians and now he's given us lay counselors to speak the truth in love as we grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Luke in Acts 4 tells us that there is not a needy person among them. Why? Because for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, for as many as had spiritual gifts and love for the church, offered their lives to carry the burden of others in the family of God. This is really the vision and the heart of lay counseling here at State Road. About two years ago, I was working at the Adult Crisis Stabilization Unit, and guess who was my supervisor? Christine Wall. And I had this great privilege, this great pleasure of sharing this space with her in this building, this old farmhouse, where we could have these great conversations with people who were in pain, suffering trauma, mental health disorders, substance use disorders, and all manner of heartache and suffering. And so, really, almost every day, but certainly every week, I could sit in her rocking chair upstairs in her office, and we could talk about these things. At one point, almost two years ago, I asked her, I wonder, you think there's a possibility we could take some of these great experiences, these great conversations that we have with people in the community and bring these conversations or these opportunities into the life of the church, this community that we love so much. And Christine was well placed for that because she's a follower of Christ who loves Jesus. She's been in the church many years, serving in ministry roles. And so she thought, well, maybe this is a good, a good conversation to have. And then I brought it to Pastor Josh, and he was very supportive of the idea because he's been in the church all his life, too. And thus began this journey, this conversation, that led to some training that started over a year ago with these folks who will be coming up a little bit later. Where Christine and I work, we talk about levels of care. Some of us only need a spouse or a friend in our time of need. Sometimes we need a higher level of care. We may need crisis intervention or a counselor or maybe even hospitalization because that's the nature of the crisis or the suffering that we have in our lives. The same is true in the church. We have friends, and we have small groups, and we have the diaconate, and we have pastoral staff. And now, peer support, brothers and sisters who are in this journey with us, suffering, dealing with some of the same issues we all deal with. At AMHC, we also talk about access to care. 
Are people who need help getting help? The same question applies in this community. I put together this little active piece of paper here that talks about this lay counseling ministry. In our Christian walk, we or someone we love will experience trials of various kinds, crisis, conflict, depression, anxiety and worry, marital discord, addictions, anger, grief, trauma, forgiveness, divorce, and much more. State Road is here to help. In collaboration with the pastoral staff and the diaconate, we have trained, gifted men and women who are ready to support you. These lay counselors will offer a confidential listening ear and biblical counseling to enable our church family to navigate the trials and struggles of life. Let's be clear, this is not therapy. None of us are trained therapists, except for Christine, who is serving really as support staff for us. But this is peer support and biblical counsel. And there's really a very easy entry point here. If at some point, family or friends are just not doing the job for you, we have some folks here who are trained who can. At least point us in the right direction. And so if there is a need, here's, here's the entry point. You text, you call, you let Sherry, Cheney, or myself know. We are members of the diaconate. We will be working with the diaconate as they look after their families and they see some red flags or some concerns they have a group that they can, they can go to. They have us, we can talk to them, and we can try to be supportive of your needs. I just wanted to, uh, there are 30 classes through this training. We met at five o'clock every Wednesday morning until COVID interrupted our classes, and then we resumed after a while. Caring for people God's way is this great curriculum that we use. Here's just some of the classes. Becoming a Christian counselor, using your spiritual gifts in counseling, the power of truth, surviving sexual abuse, how to help people change, heart matters, repentance and godly sorrow, forgiveness, letting go of the past and pain, the spiritual disciplines in counseling, addiction and recovery, divorce recovery. These are just a handful of the classes that we spent uh, discussing and talking about together. If you're interested in knowing the rest of those classes, I'll leave this on a table in the back and you can take a look at it if you're interested. I know there's going to be kind of a, uh, a learning curve for all of us because the Spirit wants us to be closer together. Dare I say, he wants us to have some level of intimacy that non-Christians just don't understand. But the enemy and our flesh wants us to put distance between each other and not trust each other. 
And so there's this battle going on. We need each other. But over the years, somehow, the church has fallen away from this idea that is represented here in Acts chapter 4. All the full member of those who believed are of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. Great grace was upon them all. I'm going to ask uh, Christine to come on up and share what she has on her heart. Good morning, church family. I just have to stop for a second and just say it is wonderful to be here. <laughs> I have been with you the last number of months, but it's been online. <laughs> and I don't know about the rest of you, but that is just not the same. <laughs> so it is really um, just really exciting for me this morning to just be here with you. So thank you. I think most of you know me, but in case you don't, again, as Greg said, I'm Christine Wall. Um, I've been coming to this church for, it's been over 10 years. It's been a while. I kind of forgot how long it's been, but it's been a while. And as Greg said, he and I began to talk about this idea, um, gosh, several years ago. And uh, kept talking and kept talking and kept praying. And... Um, uh, as a result, we're here today, and as the curriculum is titled, Caring for God's People, God's Way, it kind of um, brings up a question. What does caring look like? I think for most of us, when we think about caring, we have this internal angst. Oh my gosh, what are the right words? the right timing, the right action. What's the right thing to do? We struggle with that, right? We feel uncomfortable. But in truth, I would offer that caring can be actually very, very simple. And at the same time, very, very complex and painful. Sitting silently alongside someone who's struggling and suffering can be the most caring thing you can ever do. But it takes courage and strength to enter into someone else's pain. I have several uh, reference points in my life that make this ministry really important to me. Um, many years ago, my husband and I had the desire to work together in a lay capacity with married, uh, marriage counseling support. And the Lord graciously used us in ways that uh, we were definitely not necessarily equipped to do. Um, many years later, my husband was supportive of me taking this same course that many of you have taken. And um, then my husband, he kept pushing me and nudging me and saying that he really wanted and felt that, he, that I was called and that he needed to support me to expand my studies and licensing to become a professional therapist. And I feel very honored to work in that role. In the roles, however, in this counseling ministry that Josh, Greg, and I um, will do, it's, I want to be clear that we're not to supervise. 
not even to be consultants necessarily, but rather report supportive resources for you. We too will walk alongside in prayer and support to guide and to offer more professional resources when they're needed. Um, we know that stigma and shame often keep us from seeking the support needed when we're hurting. And we believe that offering a lay ministry in our church family will be supportive to all of us in ways to help us know it's okay to reach out and have difficult conversations when we need to. Another part of this that really is important to me is that one of the aspects of State Road Church family that impressed my husband and I uh, many years ago when we began to be a part of this church was a concept that we saw that one of our pastors in our home church in California taught us a long time ago. And he always said, I'm not the hired gun. You have to remember it's in California, okay? <laughs> and we were struck early on here at State Road Church that you do not view your pastor as the hired gun. You do not expect Pastor Josh to do all the work of ministry. We've seen you roll your sleeves up because you want to get in and do the work of ministry together. You want to care about God's people, and you do that physically, spiritually, and emotionally. And caring for people through this lay ministry will be another way that you'll care about each other emotionally. You'll walk beside each other when you're depressed, when you're anxious, when you're suffering from abuse in many forms, and you're worried about the emotional and substance use needs of your loved ones. You will care for each other, God's people, most often by not even saying a word, rather as you sit with one another, validating the pain in a silent, caring way that powerfully communicates that you care. Lastly, when our son Micah suffered from a very serious substance use problem, Several of you loved and cared for him when he came here to this church. You cared for Brian and I as we worried and we struggled on how to support and love him. And when he, Micah ultimately lost his battle with substances, you came alongside our family. You cried with us. You prayed with us. You brought us meals and you sat with us. And you came along when we were here crying, and you put your arms around us, Elaine, one uh, Sunday right before Christmas. I remember that was a real hard time for me, and Elaine just walked alongside me and held me. You were brave to enter our difficult conversations and our pain. So State Road Church, I know that you're ready for this. You're ready for this ministry that's gonna allow our church family to take brave steps, to be open to very hard conversations, to care for one another when we do not feel equipped to do so, to walk alongside one another through times that will feel dark, and but we're going to hold on to each other to sustain hope that we have in our Abba Daddy. Thank you, and I'm just really proud to be part of this family.
Uh, thank you, Greg and Chris, for sharing your heart. Uh, that is wonderful to hear and really grateful uh, for you bringing this vision uh, to me originally, and we brought it to the board and presented it to them, and they gave us the go-ahead to get started on it and just have been very blessed. i got to tell you, over the past year or so, the highlight of my week are those Wednesday morning groups. We would meet right out here in the fellowship hall, and uh, we'd watch a video, and then afterwards, that time of discussion was just, man, it's hard to put words to it, but just really appreciated all the different thoughts, the insights. We're trying to grapple with things that are ugly and hard, and uh, just trying to think, well, how would we actually enter into this if this was something that somebody was struggling with, one of our brothers and sisters, our friends? How could we be helpful to them? You know, oftentimes when I first become aware of someone in my church family who's going through something painful, I struggle with two questions. The first is, should I reach out to them? Would that be welcome? And the second, which follows closely on the first, is if I did reach out, what would I say? Uh, what could I possibly say in the midst of what they're going through? You've probably wrestled with the same kinds of questions. I mean, words can just be very hard to find at such times. Everything, everything suddenly sounds trite and inadequate when you're confronted with the reality of somebody else's real-life pain. And... Uh, the disorienting confusion and the raw emotion that surrounds that thing. Words seem appropriate, maybe even needed, but the raw edge of pain confounds platitudes and easy answers. I fear in those times saying the wrong thing, but I also fear that if I say nothing, I'll be unhelpful or but even more basic than words is just a person's presence. But again, you do typically wonder at such times if my presence would just be an added burden if I showed up. <laughs> I wouldn't want to barge uninvited into space where somebody would rather be alone. Maybe they'd rather grieve or lick their wounds in private. However, I've noticed that people sometimes interpret the silence and non-presence of their church friends as cool indifference to their problems, or worse, judgment. And obviously, we don't want to be misunderstood in those kinds of ways. So usually, I err on the side of showing up and trying my best to say something and walking away usually feeling like what I brought was not enough for what they're going through. Those are the two questions that usually go through my mind when I first initially hear that somebody's in a bad place. I want to go to them. I want to say things that are kind and helpful, but I'm worried that I'll just be unwelcome. Now I'll let you in on the other side of this equation. Here are the two questions that usually go through my mind when I am the one who is hurting and in a bad place. Should I reach out to someone? And if I did, what would I say? It's the same two questions. Would it be unwelcome if I showed up with my troubles? 
Would I be imposing? Would my presence become a burden? And it's too risky anyway. I'm the pastor. I got to be the lead sled dog. <laughs> right? They can't smell weakness. They'll kill me. <laughs> if I did tell a friend, would the carefree banter and the easy back and forth that I enjoy with that person be replaced with awkward discomfort? I don't want that to happen. I enjoy that too much to bring this up to them. It would ruin everything. The messiness of other people's troubles, stuff, common. And there's a spectrum here, right? I mean, some of the stuff we studied in our times together on those Wednesday mornings were shocking. Awful evidence of how depraved this fallen world can be. And the, the, the effect of our fall, the fall, sin, on our inner world, on the society that surrounds us, things that happen to people, things that bubble up from within that are horribly destructive. It's awful. The sin-ravaged nature of this fallen world is awful. And sometimes in our times of discussion, that went to a very extreme place. But hey, we've all, we're all somewhere on the spectrum of being troubled and needing help. All of us. And the, the messiness of other people's crises are troubles. That's an intimidating thing for someone to enter into, but let's be honest about this. It is far scarier. It is way more costly and intimidating the prospect of inviting others into the messy reality of our own big, ugly thing. That's way harder, way tougher, requires way more courage. And so really what I need to do this morning is answer the question, why? Why is it worth it for me to let you into the reality of my struggles? One verse I want us to look at here, one passage, is Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. It says this, Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken." Verse 9 talks about having a good reward for our toil. Brothers and sisters, we are invested in the same work. And we know that this Christian calling that has been placed upon all of us, our calling as a church, is, not, it is a team sport. We need one another in order to do this effectively. And this was just rammed home last night as I saw the phenomenal effort for the Harvest Supper. Who could have pulled that off individually? <laughs> no way. No way. And it's true for our corporate calling. We need one another to do what God has called us to do effectively. And there are times where we need counsel in this. You know, I was thinking about the time when Moses 
He brought the people up out of Egypt, and it is just like herding cats if you read the Bible. I mean, Moses, the poor fella, had so many crises in leadership. The people are very fractious and difficult. And sometimes he would go to the tent of meeting and he would just pour out his heart to God and God would counsel him directly. But at one occasion, he's in conversation with his father-in-law who has the awesome name Jethro. And Jethro tells him, well, you need some help. He gives him some great counsel. He says, you need to appoint some judges among the people so they can help share the administrative burden of making these decisions. You're doing way too much. You see, that was calling, that was counsel applied to his work, to the, to the calling of God's people that bore fruit. He needed counsel to do the work of the church, the work of God's people, well. And then it says, and then in Hebrews 10, 24, we see something very similar. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Hey, we need counsel to do our calling. I need you guys to tell me when I, in ways that, you know, I could be better as a pastor. We all need this in our lives. And then verse 10 says, and if you fall and you don't have somebody to lift you up, that's a bad thing. Uh, I was, uh, remember when I was a kid, I was riding on, I had, I was a big roller skater when I was a kid, was a kid. I lived in a suburban neighborhood, and I used to like to go up to the top of the hill and skate down. And one time I was skating downhill, my skate hit a rock, and I went, <laughs> and I was hurt, I was bleeding. But do you know what my first thought was? Did anybody see that? <laughs> I don't want anybody to witness my fall. That was worse in my mind than the potential of like a bad cut or a break even. Before I assessed my body to see how badly injured I was, I looked around to see is this embarrassing thing witnessed. And in Galatians 6, 1, it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Brothers and sisters, we all fall sometimes. And when we fall in the Christian life, my first instinct is to look around and say, I hope nobody saw that. And I need to resist that impulse. I need help. I need people who can help me, not just, who can help me overcome those things. We need help, for sure. And then it says, you know, if, if two lie together, they keep warm. How can one keep warm alone? And in this cold, fallen world, we would all develop spiritual hypothermia were it not for body heat. Body heat is what is called for and needed as Christians. Put these two verses together. In Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, it says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And then in Matthew 24, 12, it says, Because wickedness is multiplied, most men's love will grow cold. That's speaking about the last days. And when we put those two passages together, we see that in the last days, wickedness is going to multiply, hearts will be in danger of growing cold, and one of God's graces to the church is body heat. One of the things that keeps our hearts warm 
is being together, is allowing other Christian brothers and sisters to have more than superficial access to the reality of our walk, to the reality of our lives. There is a level, as Greg said, of intimacy, of accountability, of transparency, vulnerability, really. How many people in this room know my needs? Have I ever spoken them out loud? Those things that are cause me concern, anxiety perhaps, that I might return to in a tedious loop throughout the day, have I ever spoken those things out loud to any of you? And if not, why not? I need body heat. Staying warm in this cold, fallen world calls for the necessity of close contact. And then in the, the fourth example here, it says, and if you're, you know, if it kind of invokes the picture of somebody traveling and somebody jumps out of the bushes and starts attacking them. It says, <laughs> you know, if you're all by yourself, you might be overwhelmed. But if there's two of you, you can beat back the person who attacks. And this reminds me of 1 Peter 5.8 where it says, Be sober-minded and alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for some, seeking someone to devour. I like to watch nature specials sometimes. I was recently, within the past couple months anyway, watching a nature special with the kids. And like all great nature specials, it was on the African savanna. Right? And they have the aerial view of the great herds, and it shows the one zebra that's wandering off. It's not together with the herd. And of course, that's what the African wild dogs in this particular nature special zeroed in on. And you can see them moving to isolate and take that one loner down. And it was, a, it was a young one, like a yearling, not a fully grown one. And I'm sitting there with my kids, and I'm like, go back to the herd! <laughs> and if you could jump through the screen with a little pocket knife, I would have been like, run, I'll fend them off. Probably not. <clears throat> but the zebra didn't go back to the herd. It was isolated. It was alone. It was easy pickings, and it got torn up. And so when it says, be sober-minded and alert, your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, what is he looking for? Are we hidden? What is, when it says he's seeking, what exactly is he looking for? It doesn't answer, and I don't want to go to that level, but entertain the possibility that just like a lion on the savanna, maybe one of those things he's looking for is somebody who is alone with their troubles. Much easier pickings than somebody who is traveling in company. I agree with all that Chris and Greg said. I appreciate them sharing their hearts. I appreciate their heart in bringing this to me. And as a pastor, I so welcome it because I think one of the things that's so needed in any church is for people who, will, who have signed up for the difficult ministry of, of being with someone in their troubles over a span of time, in support. And I'll be honest, those two questions still ring in my own head. Should I show up and should I, what should I say? And I don't always know. I don't think anybody does. But what this means is these folks have signed up. They are stating explicitly, we want to be those kind of people to you if you would let us. Don't be alone. 
You need body heat. You need somebody to help you get back up. You need somebody for the sake of your calling to provide good counsel. And we're here with you if the enemy is attacking you in any way. We'd love to stand with you and help beat them back. Apply God's word to your life as we are able and as we have insight. So I come back to that question. What is your greatest worry today? I want to close with this thought, which is the greatest rationale I have for why it's so important for you to do the difficult, potentially costly thing of opening up to a fellow brother or sister about the big ugly, we'll call it. Here, I think, is the best answer. There's lots of good reasons, like it's good for you. It's good for your families. It will be personally helpful and profitable if you did that. But for us collectively as a church, I want to answer the question why we as a body should be that kind of transparent and vulnerable and open. If I asked you, what's your greatest worry today? And as I said before, we all have them. Some are big, some are small. But what are those things that we return to over and over again in our mind in a tedious loop of open-ended concern throughout the days and weeks of our lives? Health scares marriage troubles, anxiety and depression, addiction, secret sin habits. Are you struggling underneath some hidden financial burden? Is your house falling apart? Is it wayward children? Are you mourning a loss? Is there deep, invisible loneliness? Are you suffering the death of a dream? What is it? We all have these kinds of things. And then that convicting question follows the first, which is this, does anyone in this church family know about that place? And if not, why not? That's the convicting question to me. Why are we sometimes reluctant to ask for help? Fellow Christian, it is true that you were made by your Creator with certain strengths and gifts. That is a true statement. That is who you are. God made you strong and gifted in some areas. But don't neglect the other side of this truth. It's equally important to recognize that God also purposely designed you with limitations and areas of weakness. And both are from God for your joy. He did not make you a little God. He made you a human being. You're gifted in some ways, and you're weak and needy in other ways. You are gifted in order that you might be a blessing and a help. And you are needy and limited in order that you might be blessed and helped. The church is intended by God as a community where we meet needs according to our strengths, and we have our needs met according to the strengths of others. And it is in this open display of vulnerable neediness and compassionate helps that God is made visible. This is why it is so critical that we as a church do the brave, 
costly, intimidating thing of inviting others in. Because if we do not, God will not be visible in our fellowship. As I've studied State Road now for a couple years, one of the things I love about this church is the great strength of this church is that phenomenal servant's heart that is here. And it was really on full display last night in the Harvest Supper effort. My understanding of you as a people is that if I had a need, you would show up in force, in numbers, and with a phenomenal work ethic. You are a roll up your sleeves, let's see what we can do to help kind of a thing. That has a sinful arc, though, and the sinful side of that wonderful gift here at this church is that we are very reluctant to confess need. That's my observation about us as a people. If, however, if we are not honest with one another about the needs in our own lives, if we try to appear self-sufficient and godlike, we not only miss out on the joy of having our needs met within the diverse gifts of the body, and we not only rob others of using their gifts in service to us, but of highest and most paramount concern is the fact that we rob God of His glory. Because if we do not humbly confess our need, instead of our unified testimony being that of a church where burdens are shared and needs are met in God through His people, then our testimony is that we are a community of little gods, self-sufficient do-gooders. And this is spiritual embezzlement. This is a misappropriation of glory. And God's image is marred in a church where that lopsided willingness to help, but not to say we need help, is present. As you are likely aware, the Bible makes it plain that we are not designed to carry our burdens alone. Burdens will crush us if we do not share them across more shoulders. But more than that, we will never succeed in our calling to make Jesus visible in this place and in these days. If we don't die to our pride, and whether the need be great or small, invite someone into it. And one of the great things about this ministry, this effort, is that some people have devoted time and prayer and thought, intentionality, to seeking to be an equipped, gifted person who can support you in what you're going on. None of us claim to be answer people. <laughs> That's not what this is about, really. We'll do our best to answer questions and apply God's truth to your situation as we're able. But more than anything, my hope is this that this, is, this ministry is one step among many that will move us towards our effort to become a fully formed church that loves God, loves others, and loves in action, and that God will be made visible in this place as we do. And so what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to invite those who have been through the training over the past year, and some of them can't be here with us this morning, some of them can't be up front, uh, but we will... Um, want to call them up to pray over them and commission them into this new work that they have. Um, they've been put in a lot of time, a lot of prayer, a lot of thought, and we just, I just want to pray over them. So right now, I just would invite you to come forward if you're here this morning. Uh, we had, in our group, we had 
uh, Sherry Cheney and Deb Tarr, Jessica Blackstone, Jennifer Whitaker, Greg Moody, myself, Erica Whitaker, and also Linda Gahagan were all part of that group and um, really grateful for them. Also, we had from other churches, we had Josh Cheney from the Duntown Advent Christian Church and John Walsh from our sister church in Krausville were all part of that training as well. And as Greg was mentioning earlier, these folks have received equipping and training on many things, including how to help people struggling with depression and anxiety, sexual abuse, infidelity, forgiveness issues, repentance, reconciliation, marriage and family, divorce recovery, addiction issues, crisis response and intervention, pain and suffering, grief and loss, stress management, financial stuff, anger management, mental health issues. We could go on and on. And what I want to just do right now is pray for them. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for these servants. Father, I thank you for their brave, courageous hearts. Father, I pray, Lord, that as others invite them into the reality of some of the stuff they're struggling with, Father, that you would bless them with a supernatural abundance of wisdom and compassion and endurance. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would fill them with the Holy Spirit, that you would wear them like a garment. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would also, as people are struggling in a day-to-day kind of way with things, God, that they would look on these with trust and confidence And, Father, that they would do the brave thing of inviting them in. And, Father, I just thank you for these folks. I thank you for the time they've invested. And, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would take this and multiply it and do wonderful things through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, thank you so much. So yeah, um, really want to say thank you to Greg and Chris for beginning this conversation and uh, for the wonderful uh, champion that Greg has been in particular in bringing this to me (laughs) and uh, grateful for those times on those Wednesday mornings. And my hope is that it will bear fruit in the coming years as, uh, as we do make God visible, as we love God, love others, and love in action.